Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Stigma. I'm your host, Yara Minova, and in today's episode, we are back on a popular demand with Nasreen Maktabi, attachment style expert and psychotherapist, who will speak to us today in more detail about attachment styles in dating and relationships. We will cover the cycle of rupture and repairing in relationships, how negative relationships affect us, and of course, what a secure, functioning, and satisfying relationship is and how to get there. Let's get started. Nasreen, welcome back. It's so great to have you here again, and thank you for doing this. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to be back. So for those who have not yet listened to our first episode together on attachment and who are interested in this conversation, I would recommend you to check out our attachment styles episode or, you know, at least even Google what the different styles of attachment are to get the context of what we will be discussing in this episode, as there will be some mentions of it more or less. So Nasreen, before we kick off, last episode, we spoke about how every individual has a different style of attachment. And someone I spoke to asked me, or they told me that, you know, I feel like I have a bit of everything. As I was listening, I felt like I was secure, but I was also anxious and avoidant. And I told that person, well, in fact, I think we are a bit of every style, right? With one more or less than the other. So can you please clarify this for us? So yeah, some people might swing between the two attachments, the three attachment styles. Sometimes they will feel they're able to handle their emotions. They're able to communicate about their emotions in relationships. But then I, mostly it depends on who they are interacting with. So these chameleons, let's say, if you are with someone who's anxiously attached, who's always checking on you, they will trigger in you the avoidant. So it will feel like an invasion of privacy. However, the, if they become more anxious, maybe they're attracted to someone who's very avoidant. So this will trigger in them the helplessness of, of where is the other person, where is my secure base, and always look for it. So it's totally possible. And this comes also from the premise, as all of us humans, we have this, there is a saying in French, uh, free to sweet, sweet to free. Basically, when something is running away from you, you tend to want to run mm -hmm. after it. When something is mysterious, you know, uh, you don't get, just like gambling, you know, it's, it's sometimes you get a hit, sometimes you don't get a hit. So you keep trying. So when something is very elusive, It triggers in us as human beings this want to, we're intrigued, we want to know more. So we, we run after it, we want, we want more clarity. But uh, the other side of this is that when something is very available, we're like, oof, we don't want it, it's too much. Then we, we retrieve. Yes, indeed. So that's how I would explain it. But the, the solution is to become conscious to operate from a conscious level versus a subconscious level, which we will talk more about. I, I believe that for the most part, people are just one attachment style, but sometimes if they manage to get into a relationship with another attachment style, it triggers in them the other attachment. And it's because of their exposure when they were children, and that's fine. You know, someone, let's say, acted avoidant in a relationship with a woman because she was very anxious. 
then they get into a relationship with an avoidant woman, it triggers in them the, the anxious attachment, which means that they start wanting to come closer to her. They start wondering, where, did, where is she? Makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. But then uh, that's interesting then. So doesn't, so our, basically our personalities can change in relation to, or our attachment styles can change in relation to the person that we're dating. But then how do we know which one is our, like, which one is our actual style? Doesn't then that make us fluid? Yes, there is a, there is a test, the attachment inventory you can may do online. And this will tell you which is your basic attachment style. Yes. I've done and usually that if you're myself. seeing a therapist, <laughs> yeah, and usually when you're seeing a therapist, they will ask you a few questions and it will be easy to figure out which is your home attachment style. Got it. Cool. So if anyone uh, is curious about their attachment style, well, you know where to go. <laughs> so Nasreen, our topic for today is about dating. And the topic of dating will never go out of fashion, right? It's uh, in our nature to love and receive love, to have a lifelong partner or multiple partners, whatever floats uh, your boat. But relationships are very complex and dynamic. And we now understand that the way we are in relationships has a lot to do with the attachment style we had with our primary caregiver, as you told us last episode, and also how we're treated as kids, what we're taught which then translates to how we are in relationships today or now, uh, which obviously can project onto our partners or the person we are in relationships with. Now, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. I feel like many of us don't really know how to handle our emotions or how to behave in a healthy way with our partners. And that not only impacts us, obviously, but also the person that we're with. So how can a negative relationship impact us, both physically, so on our bodies, but also mentally, so on our psyche? And I want to start off with this question because I think before we speak about safety and secure functioning, it's important to understand why being in a negative environment can be problematic. Absolutely, Ciara, and I totally agree with you. There's been a lot of research done about us as human beings, we are social creatures. We are safe with our partners, with our families, with our friends. When we are born, we're very helpless. We need our parents close by to take care of us. So it's wired in our nervous system, in our hormones, in our uh, DNA, in our brain, in our body, right? We, We love hugs. It makes us feel safe. So they've done a lot of research and it goes much further. People who are in bad relationships, in abusive relationships, in relationships where they are not satisfied, the research shows they have a 37% more likelihood to have heart disease. And also they are more likely to die earlier because it's from stress. They have more stress, right? Because usually, you know, like we all know, life has its stressors. So we come home to the family where it's our safe haven to have like a buffer over everyday stress. But when even inside your Mm. home you have stress, there's no way to run away. Mm. It affects our hormones because your stress level then doesn't come down, right? So when you're inside the home, you're stressed and you stay there. So it affects your hormones, 
your neurotransmitters and all of this affects your blood pressure, everything, which has an impact on your health. And the interesting thing is, is this study, they even uh, correlated it with weight and other factors. And they found even if you work out and have a healthy weight, however, you're in a bad relationship that's causing you distress, you are 37% more likely to have heart problems. Wow. It's kind of like how acute stress turns into chronic stress, right? Because it's like no matter where you go, mm -hmm. you can't avoid it. Exactly. Um, and we know that people who are isolated and lonely will have lower satisfaction in life and die earlier. And they, they did studies. People who live longer are more connected to a strong, loving community. Oh, 100%. I think there was a big study. It's called, I think, The Green Belt. I forgot the name, but there was a big book about it as well. Right, yeah. Um, I, there was a Harvard study that also looked at, you know, social and human connections. And there's, um, there's an author who, you know, did a whole research, like it did a whole research on depression. And one of the most main factors that he found worldwide is that not having meaningful connections with other people was one of the biggest reasons of going into depression. And this actually ties to relationships that we have, right? Because uh, if we can't form meaningful relationships with people, our mental health will overall and our mental state will overall suffer. Exactly. So the, what To counter this, right, if mm -hmm. you are, let's say you're, you're in a family where someone has anger issues, that not necessarily your partner, to counter it is meditation. Because when you meditate, it's really going to help calm the nervous system. So that's just a tip and to do more self-care. What would you, would you have any tip for someone who says, for example, that I don't like meditating? <laughs> Or um, is it more of just like practicing it and getting used to it? Well, many people don't like meditation, but meditation can happen in many places other than just sitting for five minutes on a yoga mat, right? You can just, just focusing on one thing and quieting your mind while you're washing the dishes would do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thank you for that great tip. I actually want to talk uh, about mm -hmm. a concept which you introduced me to, which is the cycle of rupture and repair. Can you explain to us what is rupture and repair and how fighting can actually make for a successful relationship or a toxic one? Yes. So basically, like with attraction, which is a psychobiological thing, You know, when people first are attracted to each other, they're in love. It's a very much of a physical rush. It's like you're high on endorphins. And then after some time, so everything your lover does is perfect. He can do no wrong, right? But after some time, the high comes down and then it's the reality comes in, right? And then this is where the arguments or dis disagreements might come up. And it's... What what uh, really tells us if a couple are going to stay together longer or not is their skill level on how to handle this rupture in connection. And there's two types of ruptures. Sometimes there is a people disagree on important things, 
but they stay in the relationship and there's this distance. Okay, so there, there's no breakup, but they stay. And then the other one is where people have a small fight on something very ridiculous and then they blow up and they want to break up, right? So now that's just as a side note. And of course, the first one is people that are unhappy in the relationship. They stay, maybe they don't want to get divorced. They just like the status, etc. Now, you see those smaller fights, if people know how to repair them without blowing up, then the relationship is going to last longer. So the, the capacity to repair is central determinant for emotional maturity. So the first thing is the ability to apologize, right? People get angry, say things they don't mean. So, but if a person refuses to apologize because they have too much pride, then it's not mm -hmm. going to go anywhere because the other person feels hurt. So that's the first determinant in the capacity for repair. And the ability to apologize is really based on self-love. So somebody is sure of themselves and they don't think that they are, if they are, you know, like stoop down and apologize, they're going to become unworthy. Mm. They are sure of themselves and they can own their mistake. You know, okay, I was wrong in this. I, I really rushed in this decision. I rushed in what I said. Let's talk things over. Now, the second thing is the ability to forgive and accept the apology. And this is also mm -hmm. very important because some people who are very, let's say, as human nature, we're very self-centered. We think of ourselves. But to be in a couple, it's teamwork. And it's this team approach that's going to help you as a couple evolve and having similar long-term view of life. So then when you accept the apology and forgive, you can feel you're not all alone. You don't cling to the rupture because if you don't accept the apology, you are basically leaving yourself stuck in a narrow view of your life and the world, which is I'm all alone. Nobody cares about me. They, they hurt my pride. They invade my privacy. They invade my boundaries. They can't do this to me. I'm never going to let them do this again. I'm going to stay alone and isolated because this world just cannot be trusted. Right? I opened up, I trusted someone, they hurt me, and what? They can just apologize one time? No, I protect myself. So this is their view of the world. It's this, mm -hmm. they, they can't forgive, right? So they cling to the rupture. The third part is, you know, the ability to teach, because when people have this different point of view, right, where then they get upset, they are trying to repair. What's the lesson, right? <clears throat> You're learning. This person learned that they lost their temper when they were trying to get their point across, right? And that they can come out of the thinking that no one can understand them and this pessimistic view that nobody can understand my needs. And they can talk. So after the emotions rise up and they calm down, They can reach out and explain themselves more. <clears throat> and then the fourth part is the learning. 
what's the learning that's happened after the repair of the rupture that mm-hmm. ultimately brings the couple closer together. You know, they learn that maybe actually it was easy to get offended and they start to really understand the other person and their trauma and their sensitive points and how to communicate with them and how to live with other people in harmony. Because to to live with someone else, you have to get out of yourself. It's not all about you and your needs and what you want. So the, the good repairers, they learn to be humble and they learn to take criticism as feedback to become better person, better people. Right. Makes sense? Absolutely. I think empathy is also an so, important um, mm-hmm. you know, factor mm-hmm. here to, to be able to see what the other person was saying, why they were feeling that, like that, why they were arguing. Yes, so it's really coming out of yourself and being in the other person. When people fight, it's, it's their childhood trauma that's getting re-triggered. They don't see what's happening around them. But they, right. it's like an implicit memory that takes them back in time. So it takes a lot of work. And this helps the couple understand each other. Because to be in a good couple, you really have to know the other person and understand their sensitive points and how to deal with them. Now, I'll, I'll just... Um, there is this Japanese art called katsuki. Mm-hmm. And... It's, what it means is the dignity art of repair. And what it is, is like if you break a plate or a pot, they put it back together yeah. with gold, some kind of gold glue. I don't know how they do yeah. it. And then they, it becomes like, and they put it up in a very nice place and they show it off. And it's like, you know, this is the dignity art of repair because it's in the repair that you do the work to become a better whole together. Yes, it's so beautiful. Um, I I absolutely love that concept. And it's super true. You know, we sometimes believe that something that is broken can't be fixed. But in fact, uh, that's not true. We can take something broken and fix it. And even with the wounds and, you know, even with the pain, we can turn it into something beautiful. And I honestly find what you're saying so fascinating because most of the time when we see people fighting or when we think of fighting we think of it as a negative thing but in fact what you're telling us now that sometimes fights can actually bring people even closer together should the respect be there should the self-awareness be there and the self-compassion um then it no longer then like you said it creates this learning and this growth even which is so beautiful if one can you know can get there yes now if the, the fighting that gets difficult to get back from is when people become the stonewall or they degrade someone exactly. or they threaten to leave the relationship. This becomes very difficult to come out of. So that's why it's important to know how to fight. And I, I really tell young couples to seek therapy early mm-hmm. to understand themselves and the relationship better and their goals together better. Yeah, I love that. There's um there's also an African philosophy called uh Ubuntu philosophy and it basically translates into 
I am because we are, or something like humanity yes. towards others. And I also find it so beautiful because I think if we could apply this, um, seeing myself through others type of lens, uh, especially, you know, in a relationship, even friendships and, you know, family partnerships. So yeah, there, there, that empathy can extend if you can, you know, if you can extend your empathy to another person to, you know, understand their pains and their traumas as well. Absolutely. And the important thing after we overcome this is when you're in a couplehood, you're in a partnership where both parties are valuable. So nobody feels that they're not getting their needs met mm -hmm. when you're navigating life. So we can talk more about this later. Absolutely. So Nasreen, in our last episode, we spoke about what is at the heart of a secure attachment. But today I want to talk about what is at the heart of a secure relationship. Or in other words, what can it look like to be in a secure relationship? Or what is a satisfactory and secure functioning one? So the concept of fairness is very important, that the relationship is fair mm. for both. Nobody feels that they're being taken advantage mm. of or they're getting the short end of the stick. For example, if somebody, like let's say her boyfriend, doesn't, let's say she has her birthday and then only goes to her birthday for one hour and then has to go do something with his business partner who's also a woman and the girlfriend expresses and then he doesn't make it up for her and then the, the girlfriend expresses her dissatisfaction but he keeps on coming up with excuses so this is mm -hmm. clearly you know gaslighting there is no fairness that he's not sensitive to her needs so you have to really feel that there is fairness in this and the other thing is justice right There has to be justice and the person has to be sensitive to your needs and collaboration and cooperation. So not one person being more powerful. It's not a power struggle. Many people in relationships, they get stuck into the power struggle uh, aspect of things. 100%. Both, it's, it's collaborative. It's cooperative. <clears throat> people make decisions together. People talk things over. Because sometimes, let's say, Uh, maybe the husband wants to spend more time at his family. Maybe she doesn't want. Okay, let's talk this over so that he can have his time with her fa his family. And then what's going on with the wife or the girlfriend that, that she's not satisfied? You know, it's not like one person gets his way. Mm. And the, the, the one thing I want to add is also the shared purpose, purpose and vision shared principles on how they're navigating this life together. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like a two-person system. It's like it's a government and you have ministers. So you have to have a vision. What is it that you want out of this relationship? How do you make sure both people are satisfied and you're navigating this life together? Are we getting a job in this country? What kind of Where are we moving next? Okay, I like this country. I don't like this country. So if people compromise too much, they're not satisfied. You have to find a way in the negotiation to find the middle ground as much as right. possible. And the other thing is there's the couple bubble. So you want to make sure that when you come home, it's a safe and comforting place. And here you have the five love languages. It's 
I think it's important that, you know, the love languages also match. Let's say mm-hmm. one person, her love language is that she likes to give acts of kindness. Maybe she likes to get gifts or cook. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the partner does not like to receive gifts and does not like to eat home cooked food. Because the person, the first one likes to cook and the other person to enjoy her food. Bad match, right? So this woman, what happened Mm -hmm. to her, she ended up meeting someone. She was with a husband who didn't like to eat home-cooked food. Then she met someone else and they clicked. He loved her home-cooked food. And she loves to cook and prepare very sophisticated meals. So the love languages have to match for the people to be together. Yeah. To last, to be satisfied. I feel like, I also feel like being in a secure relationship is about having a strong sense of yourself. And I feel like this is a strong, important one for me and it took me a long time to get there. But it's like, I am me, you are you, and we are together in a relationship. So there's a me and a we. It's not like... It's not like an enmeshment, you know, where two people are exactly. stuck to the hip. Because, um, I d- yeah, yeah. So, so it's different for every couple, mm-hmm. right? If both couples like to be together all the time, then, then all the best for them. If they like to do the same things and they do them together, then that's okay. But in general, it's always better to have something to come back to your partner to talk to them about it, right? It's good. Like Gibran, Khalil Gibran, the famous uh, Lebanese-Syrian poet, talks in his poem about marriage, is that you can uh, have the same bottle of wine but drink from your own cup. That the couplehood is about the air that flows through between the two of you. So when you have a, a safe haven is that you can come back to a safe, secure base together. And that's the key, is to come back in the coming back to the safe heaven where you're safe in it. It's not about staying all the time together or not. Yeah, 100% agree with you. And it's also like you'll feel more free within your relationship mm -hmm. and you can reconnect with yourself. Yes, yes. So it's about having a strong sense of self and then the partner, you feel that your partner views you as a good person. When you feel that your partner is satisfied with you and sees you as a good person, then you're more likely to stay in the relationship and to feel happy. Also, I wanted to add is that when there's a problem in the relationship, people, they work on the problem. Mm -hmm. They don't say, oh, you're the problem. What you do is wrong. This attacking, that uh, blaming the person's character, that it is bad. This is what makes people more unhappy in the relationship. And the other thing that leads to good relationships is to quickly repair the ruptures, not to let them pile up. Mm -hmm. Like the saying says that, you know, don't sleep when you're in a, after a fight, but like work it as it comes. Because the more you work it, the more you're going to see the learnings from it to apply it to to the next day in the relationship. 100%. Let's uh, talk a little bit about compatibility. (laughs) You mentioned a little bit about, you know, having kind of similar views and things like that. But how important are values, interests, similar goals in a relationship? 
And, um, and how can we look at it in the lens of like attachment styles? Like, for example, can an avoidant and an anxious make it work if they are compatible in their life values and interests? You know, it might make it more likely that the, the different attachment styles will work well in the relationship if they have similar values and similar interests. It will, because if they both mm-hmm. value the relationship and they see it as a team, if they both value looking inwards, then they will work on themselves to make the relationship better. If they have similar goals, of course, it's going to help the different attachment styles. It's going to be more likely that the relationship is going to work because they have more things to work on. Mm-hmm. If people have different attachment styles, but they have similar values and interests, it's more likely that the relationship will work. But sometimes if somebody Mm -hmm. is avoidant and they really value their independence and they want, let's say, the view about finances is different. Let's say the anxious attachment has a view of how finances should be. And the avoidant has a totally different view of how the finances should be run. Let's say the avoidant wants to not merge bank accounts and they want to stay separate bank accounts. Mm -hmm. But the anxious sees it that when they have a joint bank account, she feels more secure that they're really in it together. Right? But you, you can see that the, the deeper reason of the person who's anxiously attached of why they want the joint bank account. Okay, but the, the, uh, the avoidant loves their independence and that's their priority and they're not willing to shift on that. Then they have different values systems and the relationship will not work. But if they have similar view, let's say the avoidant, wants to look at things further. And even though they like their own bank account, they, ha- they value empathy and they value introspection and becoming a better person. And they see that the reason the partner wants the joint account is to feel secure and that she counts for the partner. Then they might shift and change their mind and then the relationship works. Hmm. There's just so much uh, individuality, right? Um, although, yes, you know, kind of the the red flags are all the same, more or less, um, in terms of what kinds of people will work together or not. But um, that kind of leads me to my final question: of, you know, how can we get there? Um, how do we get to that safe space and safe place with our partners? Would it be, for example, changing our partners if we see that, you know, depend, you know, regardless of the attachment style, but it just doesn't seem to work? Or would it be trying to make it with the current partner by, you know, certain techniques that you've just been listing to us and more? You know, the quality of a relationship on a partnership has such an impact on many areas of our life. A good working relationship can be, you know, important to cope with difficult life situations and stress and, you know, contribute to our well-being. So how does one get there? So what I tell my clients often is you have to know your bottom line. You really want to know what's your bottom line. What is something you really cannot tolerate? And the other person is not willing to shift for it then you know it's time to walk away. 
And a lot of the time when people have this question, seeking a therapist might be a good idea to understand what's really going on. So, you know, I mean, changing your partner, if it depends, you know, how long you've been with this person, how important is the relationship for you? Is the other person willing to sit at a table and open their heart and talk honestly? You know, if you're thinking of breaking up, then definitely it's time to sit down and talk and to say, hey, I'm not happy. I haven't been happy, but I'm willing to open my heart and talk about what's going on. And then another thing is if you're at the stage, it's probably time to go to see a therapist. That's when you try to make it work. You see, and then let's say you're a woman, you're trying to get pregnant. The other partner does change their mind. They, they don't want to have kids. This happened a lot in COVID, actually. Some couples I know, mm-hmm. you know, the partner after COVID just said, you know what, I don't want to have kids anymore because life, the world seems threatening to me. I don't want to bring children into this. While the wife wanted kids no matter what. So they were at a crossroads. That was something like, even though they loved each other, you know, the woman couldn't mm-hmm. see her life without children. And the other man said, no way I would ever have kids, not even adopt. So love sometimes is just not enough. This woman needs to have children. So they, they decided to break up. So it's really complicated about how to get there. But ultimately, you know, if you can work to become a, a conscious relationship. So if mm-hmm. both of you decide to operate from your conscious mind and to point to each other, when you notice someone is triggered and is reacting from the subconscious mind, and then you can work on it. You can have times when you sit and you talk. You know, I tell my clients, you can have relationship management meetings. You can sit and talk, okay, how, how mm-hmm. are we doing? Are my needs met? Are we having the safe bubble? Are we in, in tune? Shall we talk in order to become more in tune? How, what is your nervous system feeling like right now? Talk about things before things build up. It's not like a magic wand in a relationship. It yeah. takes work. It takes vulnerability and openness to sit and tell the other person, you know, when we were together outside in the restaurant and you looked at the waitress too many times, you know, I, mm-hmm. I was sitting right there. And, you know, it really sucked for me, you know. Instead of her keeping it inside, keeping it inside and getting feeling low self-esteem and not. And maybe he's going to say, you know what? I totally agree. It was too obvious. You know, nobody says don't look at other people. You know, if he's going to a restaurant alone, he sees a beautiful woman. Maybe he looks at her. When you're married to someone, you don't own them. But he did it right in front of her. And that hurt her. And that's what this couple told me about, Mm. right? So it's about... You know, telling him that's her request was like, you know, I don't mind if you can enjoy looking at models and whoever. But, you know, when I'm right in front of you, this is our bubble. I, you, she wants to feel special and she makes him feel special. So talking about these things so that they don't build up. It's about also like respect, right? I mean, every person will have a def- different definition um, of what respect is. So in particular for this woman, it was, you know, her her partner not looking um, at someone else while she was there. So for her, that is a big part of being respectful. 
understand where that's coming from. And that's why it's so personal. But if, you know, there are certain, like, there are certain big no-nos, right, in a relationship. And one of the biggest one is obviously, like, a partner that gaslights, a partner that puts you down, um, you know, a partner that is toxic for you. And I think that perhaps in our next episode, um, we can we can talk a little bit more about toxic patterns and what is yes. kind of not the norm in, in a relationship like that. Yes, so something that does not lead to healthy self-esteem in the relationship. Absolutely. Right. Nasreen, as the final drop-off before we go, do you have one main little tip that you can give people who are in a relationship about um, how to, you know, remain calm during a time of turmoil in, you know, in their, in a phase in their relationship? So let's say somebody is, uh, they're having an argument. It's to take a break and to say, listen, Mm -hmm. I know things are heating up. And I just need to take a break and go out for a walk for 10 minutes and then come back to talk when the dust has settled. And if somebody is in a relationship and somebody is uh, too eager or doubting too much, it's to actually reassure them, say, hey, I'm here, I'm not going away, no need, why are you feeling so insecure? That's when somebody is very anxiously attached, right? And the flip side is the same. If your partner is drifting off and there's a lot of space, wants a lot of space, is to tell them first to give them the space, but then when they come back to express your need for, you know, to, for the connection that you don't like it when the person just drops off for a day, not contacting you, but that you would appreciate some signals and that you're concerned about what's going on with the person and there you can introduce the couple bubble and something you can do is go to couple therapy when these things happen so you can understand the rhythm of the relationship and how you can create that safety while giving the other person their space and their needs to be met. Wow. Nestrine. This has been wonderful as always. Thank you for such a rich discussion. I feel like you gave us so much to think about and your insight was so beautiful. So thank you so much for your time and we'll be very excited to have you back on the podcast very soon. Excellent. I would love that. Thanks so much, Sierra, for creating this beautiful space and for your good questions. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening again and we'll see you in the next episode.